particularly that, that know me and know my family, you know that we moved to Alabama three and a half years ago. It'll be four years um, in September. And when, when we moved, of course, my parents, they were, you know, distraught that their beloved only son was traveling that far and moving that far and their cherished daughter-in-law would be you know, that far away. What they were really worried about was the fact that Scylla had just been born and they didn't care about us. It's like, don't take the grandbaby. Well, somewhere along the way over the last couple of years, they decided to fill that void that they have in missing their family with rabbits. Now listen carefully to what I said. I did not say a rabbit. I said rabbits. Multiple rabbits. They have, I don't know, I don't know what you call a, a group of rabbits. A flock, a herd, a, a gathering of rabbits. They, they have built rabbit condos. They know all about any sort of, of rabbit health issues, rabbit psychological problems. They, they're the ones that, anyway, they've got all this. All of this rabbit life that has just been born since we moved to Alabama. And it's peculiar. But they were very smart about it. When they got in, got into rabbits or whatever, when they started dabbling in rabbits, they, they bought, I, hope, I really hope they do not watch this. <laughs> when, when they bought rabbits, they very wisely bought only girl rabbits. They thought. So now they have bonus rabbits. They're giving away rabbits. Um, but I hate, to, I hate that you have to hear it this way, but, but the daddy rabbit, who was not a girl, Bandit, he's no longer with us. Bandit has gone on to his eternal reward. And he is now wherever rabbits go when life is over. And... Because our four-year-old daughter, Priscilla, um, she, uh, you know, is, is trying to figure out the world and her place in it. She's struggling to figure out what it means that Bandit's dead. And she's asking questions and trying to piece all this stuff together about death because she doesn't understand what it means to die at four or to be dead. And I don't really want to explain it to her. I wish she never had to find out. And so we're trying to work through explaining to a four-year-old what it means to die because of Bandit and because of my parents. Just the other night before bed, we were asking the kids, what do you guys want to pray for before we go to sleep tonight? And Scylla said, let's pray for Bandit. And immediately my, my dad hat went off and my pastor hat came on. And I kind of launched into a sermon. All right, here's why we don't really need to pray for animals like that. And here's why you don't need to pray after something's dead. And here's this and that. And thank God, guys, come on, thank God for our wives, right? And Amy just said, let's pray for Bandit's family because they miss him so much. <laughs> By which she meant my mom and dad. Let's pray for them. <laughs> but the reality is that understanding death is not going to get any easier for my four-year-old, is it? It's only going to get harder for her. And it's still difficult for all of us. All of our lives are touched by death in some way. It's not just our pets that die, but it's our friends 
our parents, sometimes our children or our spouse. We've all had those moments where we've sat in a cemetery and we looked at the cold casket with the body of a loved one inside of it. And we wonder in those moments, what comes next for them? And what comes next for us? Can we see them again? Can we be with them again? What happens to us after we die? And in the meantime, between now and whenever we find out, we've got a whole lot of living to do. And yet a lot of us never really get around to living. We never get around to really participating in what life is supposed to be all about. And I think because that is the reality of every one of our lives, trying to navigate life and death, Easter Sunday is a great day to remind you that our God is the God who defeats death. And because He defeats death, our God is the God who defines life. And I want to show you that today in the book of John, chapter number 11. So look with me there if you have your Bible. If you don't have your Bible, no pressure. Um, It's uh, going to be on the screen for you, but it's John chapter 11, verse number 17. The Word of God is going to show us this amazing truth presented from Jesus Himself that He is the God who robs the grave. And the God who defeats death is the God who can define life for me and for you. Let Let me show you this in John 11, 17. The Bible says, now, when Jesus came, and if you don't know the story up to this point, that's totally fine. I'm going to catch you up. When Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, Though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord abideth forever. So in the middle of John chapter number 11, Jesus has come to a funeral. We started talking about this passage of Scripture in our Sunday morning service last week where Jesus receives word that his friend Lazarus is sick. And most of us would think, if we know anything about Jesus, we would think that Jesus cares when his friends are sick and surely Jesus would want to do something about it. But Jesus hears that his friend Lazarus is sick and instead of Ubering right away to the hospital or instead of granting them a miracle and healing Lazarus, Jesus doesn't do anything. Jesus just hears about this great need, and he hangs out. And then finally, he shows up, not when Lazarus is sick, but after Lazarus has been dead for four days. And he comes to the funeral for his friend Lazarus here in John chapter number 11. And he begins to interact with Lazarus' sisters, Martha and Mary. 
He has conversations with them. And in those conversations, he reveals truth about who he is and his heart for his people. In fact, a little bit later when he interacts with Lazarus' other sister, Mary, the Bible says in the shortest verse in the Bible, John eleven thirty five, 35, Jesus wept with Mary as she wept in her grief over her pain. Jesus cared about these people. The Bible says that these are his friends. These are the people whose home he went to to get away. These are the people Jesus played Uno with, okay? And now one of them has died. And Jesus goes to be with them in their pain and with them in their loss. And here he tells Martha in the middle of this, he says, Martha, I am the resurrection. And Martha, I am the life. And then to prove that he is the resurrection and the life, Jesus goes to the grave of his friend Lazarus and he speaks with the authority of God himself. And he says, Lazarus. Come forth. And Lazarus breathed in a breath he never breathed out. And he opened his eyes and he walked out of the grave. And Lazarus, through the resurrecting power of the Lord Jesus, he got to go thank everybody for coming to his funeral. And he's alive to prove what Jesus says to Martha here in John chapter 11. I am the resurrection and the life. He that lives and believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whoever believes in me, that person will never die. Jesus says, I am the God who robs the grave. I am the God who defeats death. And I am the God who, because I defeat death, I can define life forever. Now, this is today an audacious claim from Jesus. And I want to press this in on you for just a moment today. This is an audacious claim. Jesus says this. I am the resurrection and the life. He says this. At a funeral. Now most of us know that if there's ever a place where we are going to behave ourselves. It ought to be at a funeral. If there's ever a place where you don't want to say anything stupid. It should be at a funeral. Jesus comes to a funeral. And he says to a grieving family. I am resurrection itself. I am life. And if you believe in me you will never die. Think about this. Lazarus has been dead for four days. The obituary has already been published. The casseroles are already cold. The service is over. It's done. And when Jesus shows up, he starts saying things about eternal life in him. Folks, I've been a pastor for a long time. My dad was a pastor. I was raised in a preacher's home, and I worked in a funeral home for a number of years. I know there are some things you do not say at a funeral. You go to a funeral, and you say to people, I'm very sorry about your loss. You go to a funeral and you say, I'm praying for you. You go to a funeral and you say, if there's anything that you need, please let me know. You don't go to a funeral and you don't say to people, you know, I can give you eternal life. And whoever believes in me, even if they die, that person will live forever. If you go to funerals and you start saying things like that, y'all, that is David Koresh level storing AK-47s in the basement type crazy. It's crazy unless it's true. And what this audacious claim puts on you is the burden to think for yourself, is Jesus crazy or is he right? Is he just some person that's lost their mind making these audacious, braggadocious claims about life and eternity? Or is he really the resurrection and the life? You have to choose here today. You have to leave this place today deciding for yourself, is Jesus crazy or is he right? What you can't do today is what so many of you are doing today and trying to live in this awkward middle space with Jesus. 
as if Jesus really is the resurrection and the life, but it really doesn't matter. That's how we live, though, isn't it? We live as if Jesus really did die, really did rise again from the dead. And so now we are going to let Jesus kind of be part of our life. Jesus says, no, I'm not part of your life. I am life. I am life. And so you can't just give Jesus this little partitioned corner on the periphery of your life and say, this is Jesus' part, and the rest belongs to whatever I'm really living for. If Jesus really is the God who robbed the grave on that first Easter, as most of you would claim to believe, that he should be your life. He should be your life, not just part of your life. Y'all, Taco Bell is part of my life. Getting my oil changed every 3,000 miles, that's part of my life. Jesus is not part of my life. Today on Easter is a good day to stop and think that Jesus deserves more than a part. Because he is the God who robs the grave. He not only deserves part, he not only deserves all, he defines it all. He has the right to tell you what it is. And life in Jesus, life in Jesus, Jesus becoming life means nothing less than Jesus is the one that you consult when you're disappointed. It means that Jesus is the one you turn to when you're successful. That Jesus is the one who defines and lays out the plans you make for your life. That Jesus is the one you lean on when life hurts or when people aren't there. Jesus has the right to be life itself. And so Jesus says, I am life. I am life. It's about more than what happens to you when you die, like Lazarus or like Bandit. Jesus as your life means that he is determining the person that you become tomorrow. Jesus as your life means that he determines the treasures of your heart. This is an audacious claim. And you can't get any bigger until it does. As Jesus makes what is really just a bold promise. He says... Martha, I am the resurrection and the life, and whoever lives and believes in me, that person, even if they die, they're not really going to die. They're going to have a life that is bigger than death itself. So, think through the flow of the conversation here. Jesus comes to the funeral. He says, Martha, your brother will rise again. And then she says, she says, Lord, I know that Jesus, or I know that Lazarus will rise again on the last day. And what she's doing is she's just speaking out of her Jewish faith. These are all faithful Jews here. She's just speaking out of her Jewish faith that one day there will be kind of a a worldwide resurrection of everybody who's died. That was their culturally appropriate, acceptable way of thinking about what happened after people died. It's kind of like how in Alabama everybody believes in the rapture and everybody believes they're going, right? But y'all, I'm on social media. I'm just going to tell you, Milo's business ain't going to be hurting the day after. All right, so we, we have that kind of ingrained in us. They had ingrained in them that just at the end of the world, all the dead people would rise and then they would meet God. So she says that to Jesus. Jesus, I know that, that the day is coming out here in the future somewhere where Lazarus will rise again. No, Martha. No. I am the resurrection. He says, Martha, the resurrection is not a date that's circled out on the calendar in the future somewhere, he says, Martha, you're looking at the resurrection. 
He says, Martha, I am heaven breaking into earth right now. Martha, I am life right in the middle of this graveyard of your pain and the grief of your loss. He says, Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. And the life that I give is so big that even death can't touch it. And the life that I give will last so long that even if you die in the middle of it, you're not really dead. I am the resurrection and the life. Y'all, this is an incredible promise. And it's an incredible promise because all of us are going to die. Sorry. But it's true. But not only are all of us going to die, but most of us never really get around to living much at all. In fact, I want you to hear these verses from the Bible that analyze the human condition for us. In Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 and 15, this is later in the New Testament. The writer says, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things. That's Jesus, partaking in flesh and blood. That through death, Jesus had a body so he could die in that body. That through death, he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. You see what the Bible says about human life there? It says that human life is lifelong slavery because of our deep internal sense of death that terrifies us, that scares us. Now, I hope that there's nobody here today that's kind of morbidly preoccupied with death. I hope you're not thinking about death and dying all the time, and I hope you don't live with kind of a nagging sense that death is approaching for you. And if you do have that nagging sense that death is approaching for you, I just hope you're wrong, okay? Most of us don't live with this conscious fear of death in the forefront of our minds. But most of us do live with a deep fear that for all of our years, we're never really going to live. And so we spend our lives trying to cling to life with everything that we can. Cling to life in this world. Cling to life with our families. Cling to life in our profession or in our career. And we do everything that we can to make a life for ourselves and to scratch it together. That's why when you go to work tomorrow, you are going to make a living. We're trying to make a life because we fear that we're never really going to live and that maybe it'll pass by too fast and we will have lived a life that we didn't really remember or that no one else will remember or a life that really didn't make a difference or a life that really didn't matter, a life that never accomplished anything. Our fear of death is slavery because it binds us to this need to go out and grab life by any means that we can. And we try and grab life through our jobs and through our trophies and through our accomplishments and through the memories that we make. We're trying to do everything that we can just to remind ourselves that we are alive. Why in the world do you think people go diving in shark cages off the coast of Mexico? They're not wanting to swim with the great whites just for scientific purposes. They want to feel alive in the face of something that has the power of death. Now, I'm all for Shark Week, y'all. But I just don't trust the regulations of a Mexican-made shark tank. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't know if, the, I don't know how that's, you know, I want to make sure it's locked down tight. But we want to feel alive. Jump out of airplanes. No. Give me the shark tank before that. It's a better story if you don't make it out, right? Jump out of airplanes. Bungee jump. Even just get on a roller coaster. Even just drink a little bit too much on the weekend. Even make 
some kind of reckless financial decisions that hope, man, this is really going to make life come together for me. We do that kind of stuff all the time. Why? Because we are afraid that we never will actually live. And I assure you today, now that we've come out of this coronavirus thing, God willing, hopefully, I assure you that you should know by now you are living in a culture that is not ready to face death. We're not ready for it. We're not ready at all to face it. We're not ready to think about it. And yet here the word of God said Jesus came to break the chains of death. And he says here in John chapter number 11 that he does that because he is the resurrection and the life. He says to you today, just as he says to Martha here, I am the life you're looking for. That's what he says. He says, I am the life that you are looking for. And so I want to push back against the small view of Jesus that most of y'all have grown up with here in the South and Alabama in Baptist churches, all right? Some of y'all didn't grow up in Baptist churches. You think, man, I'm off the hook now. But I'm just going to push back against this. Because a lot of us think that, that Jesus came to save us in really some meaningless way uh, from sins that we're not really sure that we committed just so that we'll go to heaven when we die so that basically we can keep living the same life now except a little bit better and without back pain and kidney stones. That's what we think, right? That is not at all what Jesus is talking about here. What Jesus is talking about is the life that he has as the Son of God becoming yours. He says, I'm offering to you the life of God. Okay, I've lost y'all. It's right there on the very front of the one Bible verse all of us know, John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that what did he do out of his love for us? He gave, but what did he give? He gave a son. He gave a son that whoever believes in that son would not perish, that is, die, but they would have eternal life. The eternal life that we have is through a son given by a father. Now, why does this matter? Here's why it matters. Because the Bible, for all that the Bible is and for all that the Bible does, the Bible is a story that is all about a relationship. But the most important relationship in the Bible is not your relationship to God. It's not. The most important relationship in the Bible is the relationship between God the Father and God His Son. That, that is the axis on which everything else turns in, this, in the universe of Scripture. The relationship between a father and a son and what God does in sending Jesus. And you see this all throughout John's gospel especially. What God does in sending us Jesus is he says, I'm sending you my son so that you could believe in him and so that you could know him and so that you could have the very life that my son has. That eternal life of knowing God, of enjoying God, of being with God. That is the life that Jesus offers you because that's his life. You do realize today that Jesus is going to live forever, right? hope you know that. But you do realize today that Jesus has already lived forever. And how did he live? He lived as the Son of God who enjoyed his Father, whose Father enjoyed him, showing their love and their mutual joy in one another for all of eternity. That is eternal life. It is eternal life that is so big that when that God speaks, he creates life in Genesis chapter number 1. And it's the eternal life of God that he shares with us, that he offers us today. The same life that he has, Jesus says in John 17, 3, this is eternal life. Not that you will get to live forever and go fish in a crystal sea in heaven. No, this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. 
And he'll say later in John 17, 20 through 21, he would say, I do not ask for these only. Now, he's praying here. He's not just praying for his disciples who were around him. But he says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. What is Jesus really offering? He is offering you the opportunity to know God the way he knows God. He is offering you the opportunity to be known by God the way He is known by God. He is offering you today eternal life because He offers you the opportunity to be loved the way that He is loved by His Father. And He's offering you the love that He has for His Father. Y'all, that is good news. That is something bigger and better than just living forever. Now, don't worry, we'll get to that in a minute. But... I want you to hear me today. This is good news because some of you have never really felt loved, have you? You've never felt loved. Maybe you grew up in a difficult situation with your parents. Maybe they just weren't good at communicating that to you. You've never felt loved. You've, you've maybe jumped from one romantic relationship to another and made just some really, really dumb decisions that have altered the course of your life just because you wanted somebody to love you. Hear what Jesus says to you. He is saying to you today that you can be as loved as He is by God. That the God who made you would love you as much as He loves His Son. Some of you have never felt, you've never felt any sense of being known. You feel like in your life nobody sees you. You're not the smartest And so nobody applauds you for your achievements in class. You're not the prettiest, so nobody gives you that kind of attention. You just don't feel like anybody notices. And sometimes, y'all, I'm going to tell you, the smartest and the prettiest, they don't feel noticed either. And that drives them to work even harder because they just feel like nobody sees them. What Jesus says to you today is that if you would believe in him, you could have eternal life. And that eternal life means that the God of heaven knows you. As well as he knows Jesus. And that he sees you perfectly. And he loves you. And he accepts you. Some of you have never felt accepted. You've never felt good enough. You've never felt like you're impressive enough. Or that you matter enough. You've never felt. Never felt. As if you measured up. You just never feel like you are enough. Jesus says you can have eternal life. Because in him. In believing in him. God will accept you, not because of what you've done, but because of His Son. Y'all, that is good news. And Jesus says that if you will have faith in Him, and you will step into this eternal life that He offers and that He has, He says that that life is so big that even though this body dies, you're still alive. Why? Because you are alive in Him. And to be alive in Jesus means that you are as alive as Jesus is. And so for those of you today that do live and believe in Jesus, let me give you good news. You are alive right now as Jesus is alive. And you will be as alive forever as Jesus is alive. You will live on perfectly and you will live on fully just as Jesus is alive. 
And for those of you that have lost loved ones recently that believe in Jesus, he says to you here in this passage of Scripture that those people are as alive forever as Jesus is alive. Jesus says, I invite my people into the very eternal life of the triune Godhead. And he says here in this passage of Scripture that death itself will never snatch them away from his hand, that they are as alive forever as he was on that first Easter Sunday morning. And bless his name, that means that we have a life in Jesus that death cannot handle and hell cannot touch and the grave cannot keep. And so Jesus says, if you live and believe in me, even when you die, you'll be alive. Because he died on a cross. But he's alive. That's a bold promise. How can I enjoy it? How can I get in on this? Well, Jesus gives a simple invitation. He says, whoever lives and believes in me, though they die, they will live. So there's two steps to this, Jesus says. And the good news is, you're already halfway there. Because Jesus says in verse 26 of John 11, if you live, believe in me, you'll never die. So you've got half of it knocked out. You're alive today. So the other half we need to make clear. What does it mean to believe in Jesus? And I'm, I'm, pushing, again, I'm pushing uphill here, okay? Because all of y'all believe in Jesus. But you may not believe in Jesus the way he's talking about believing in Jesus. What does it mean to believe in Jesus? Well, it means nothing less than believe into Jesus. To trust him. To take him as your life. Not just as part of your life. But to take him for your everything. To let his past become your past. To let his future become your future. To let the fact that God saved him from the grave, to let that be the message and the hope you have that he will save you from your sins. That's what it means to believe in Jesus. I'll tell it to you like this. We get sick as people. And nowadays, you know, thank the Lord for modern medicine, the first thing that we do is we call a doctor. And now you can even do it just, you know, through FaceTime. And they'll look you over and diagnose whatever. And so we go to the doctor when we get sick. And we don't know this doctor. We don't know how he did in med school. That guy might have just made C's, right? You don't know. Just limped along through the worst one in his class. And we go to this doctor that we don't know. And he's going to give us a medication. And we don't know how it works. He probably doesn't really know how it works. Gives us this medication with this long name that we can't pronounce. And he writes it on a prescription pad that you can't read. And you take it to a pharmacist, professional drug dealer, who... (laughs) The pharmacist takes it and does whatever his mystical potion is, or her mystical potion is, and produces it to you. You take two of these twice a day with food. You may have some slight side effects. And this is a big deal for some of us because some of us are allergic to medication. Now, I'm allergic to a lot of different kind of antibiotics. And they give you antibiotics for everything today, won't they? Just just burn all that junk out of you and you'll get to feeling better. But there's certain antibiotics I take. and I'm going to break out in hives. I'm going to turn into a big red lobster and my heart's going to stop. But I don't know why I'm allergic to those and not these other ones. I don't know why penicillin and amoxicillin want to kill me. But whatever this other stuff is doesn't, I don't know. But you know what I do? I trust my doctor and the pharmacist. All the pills look the same, and I trust them. 
But faith is not just believing that I'm sick. Faith is not just believing that the doctor can help me. Faith is not even holding that little orange jug of pills and thinking, if I take these twice a day with food, they're going to make me feel better. You know what faith is? Taking the medicine. Taking it into yourself. And risking your future into what they've given you. That's the kind of faith that Jesus is talking about here. It's not a strong faith. It's not a perfect faith. It's not faith that understands everything completely. But it's faith that says, Jesus, I take you. I take you as mine. And that's what Martha has to do in this passage of Scripture. Jesus says, I'm the resurrection and the life. Whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Martha, do you believe this? Jesus wasn't afraid to call people out, was he? (laughs) Hey, Martha, I know we're at your brother's funeral, but do you believe this? And to that, Martha replies in these verses of Scripture, she says, yes. Yes, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who's coming into the world. Fascinatingly, that exact same verbiage is used at the end of John's gospel in John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, where John says, this is why I tell you this story. He says, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. John says, I told you these stories so that you, like Martha, would believe that he is the Christ, the Son of God, and you would have life in his name. So Martha is at the grave of her brother. And for her to believe in Jesus in that moment meant she put all of her hopes in him. All of her future. Lazarus' future. That it all became his. All of her disappointment became his. All of her grief became his. And she says, Jesus, I'm yours. He's yours. It's all yours completely. Have you ever believed in Jesus like that? I mean, really risked your life, your future, your happiness, your eternity on Him. Have you ever done that? Have you ever believed in Him like that? Said, Jesus, you are my resurrection because you are my life. I'll tell you this, today would be a great day to do it. It'd be a great day to do it. It'd be a great day to do it. In fact, here's what we're going to do. We're going to stand together right now. And we're going to sing one of my favorite old hymns, There is a Fountain Filled with Blood. And while our musicians come and get ready to sing this song, um, Gary and Shanda, you guys go ahead and start playing that softly if you would. I would like to have everybody's head bowed and everybody's eyes closed in just a moment of, of stillness, if we can, please. And I don't want, I don't want anybody looking around. I don't want anybody moving around if possible. Because some of you are thinking, maybe for the first time in a long time or the first time ever, you're thinking about what it means to really believe in Jesus. To believe in Him the way He deserves as the one who's the resurrection and the life. And I'm not going to call you out today like Jesus did, Martha. I'm not going to come to you. I'm not going to embarrass you. I just want to pray for you help you if I can. Is there anybody here today that would just put your hand up and say, Jesse, you know I'm really not sure I believed in Jesus like that. Put your hand up and say, Jesus is part of my life, but he's not my life. 
anybody here today that says, I'm a lot like Martha, and I'm struggling to believe all this. And I need to, I've got things I need to figure out, but I want Jesus to be my life. I see your hands. I'll tell you, I get it more than you know. Some of you maybe have to admit today, you know, I'm like Martha too. I'm hurt. Not just hurt by the loss of somebody close to me or the circumstances of life, but I'm hurt right now that God did not do what I thought he should do in these situations. And I'm struggling in my faith to cling to him as my life. I want to pray for you too. As you wrestle with God, and I see your hand, and I, I will be praying for you. Now, sometimes it's hard to understand his thoughts. It's hard to understand his ways. But as you struggle through that, let me tell you today, if he can rob the grave, he's got a plan that will take your breath away. Father, you know the needs of all of our hearts today. You know the work that you are doing in us as eternal creatures made in your image. God, the best we can, we give ourselves to you now. God, I pray that you would not let anyone leave here today with an uneasy and a troubled conscience. But God, my prayer is that you would bring us like you did, Martha. However long it might take, God, bring us to that place where we say with confidence, you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into this world, and we trust you. Do that in us, I pray in Christ's name.